welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Do you want to drive a new Tesla or a Rivian truck or a Lucid Air with 500-mile battery? A new online raffle lets you win an EV dream car while helping the planet. Visit evraffle.org to win. Secan Action Fund uses all proceeds to promote clean energy. Visit evraffle.org. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, and today we have a guest we had actually not that long ago, CEO of EMG Advisors, Will McDonough. Will just great doing great work in the EV battery mineral market, sort of like invest investing and, and investigating and keeping on top of everything uh, that's happening. And so they, they they had some news come out that they reached out about, and uh, well, it's not not your news, but some news you spotted and as relevant to what you do and what we do. And I, I was immediately intrigued and caught my attention. I was like, yeah, let's get Will back on. He was a great guest. And even better, uh, just talking before the the podcast here a moment ago, you said some really nice things about us. So extra extra reason. So so give <laughs> us a little more. Earlier. You can you can say that again if you like, and just I'm more than uh, happy to. Uh, yeah, give I, us. I was saying that I consume. Again. Yeah, I, I I consume the Clean Technica email with my morning coffee, and it's uh, I read it voraciously because it does such a great job of covering the sector globally. You know, I don't think there's many that look at it globally that look at it from every angle. You know, there are great sources for single angles of. The cars themselves, you know, people love Tesla and they want to talk about Tesla or they love the Hummer. You know, they want to talk about specifics. But I do really, truly believe you guys do the best job of covering the sector broadly and offering broad perspective. You know, the way we look at it is, and and as I've said to you before, my background being, you know, on Wall Street for 15 years, worked at Goldman Sachs, had my own hedge fund of funds did a SPAC in 2013 that we listed in London for $825 million. I've done a bunch of random stuff. Ironic to this conversation, that SPAC was buying banks across the continent of Africa. So know a bit about Africa and and have spent quite a bit of time there. I actually helped bring Uber to Africa in 2015, which was an interesting experience as well in West Africa, in Abuja, right, right near Ghana. Maybe that's partly how you got on top of this news before anyone else that I'm seeing. You know, you well, we try to do the same thing as you and cover it globally, you know, because when you zoom out and you look at the future of EV, wind, solar, all clean tech, it's all supply versus demand to me, right? And I try to simplify things when we talk to our investors and, and talk to the market. So demand is easy, right? Demand is Tesla sold X million cars, GM's converting this plant to go totally EV, Ford's selling lightnings for that, you know, all that is pushing demand. Demand is the Inflation Reduction Act is is dropping the price of acquiring an EV 25%, is pushing charging infrastructure truly across the continent, is doing all these things that are going to make the adoption curve easier, Right. And so all that, like, no, you cannot find somebody that disagrees with the fact that there will be more EVs tomorrow than there are today. 
right? So the, the demand side is like not even necessary for us to keep pointing to. We do a weekly newsletter ourselves, which I'll make sure you're on at emgadvisors.com. But we try to boil it down to spending, right? Because those are hard dollars. And every week, it's almost become a running joke because it's like another $4 billion was committed this week, this week towards going green. And and I say that if any other industry, if the news cycle that occurs in one week or the numbers committed to it happened in one week, happened in a year, the industry would be running around celebrating like we've made it. But this industry every week has a new billion dollars committed by this plant conversion, by this mine conversion, by this global conglomerate to going green. And so the demand side is just impenetrable, right? The supply side, I think, is less understood. And you know what we do. We have an uh, ETF on the New York Stock Exchange called Charge, CHRG, that buys lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt futures, because we have the thesis that to participate in this massive rising tide of EV adoption, you don't need to go pick the winners. Is Rivian going to make it? Is Lordstown going to make it? Is Tesla going to beat GM? Is you know SQM going to be the best mining investment, or is it Piedmont? You know, in in Ghana, like where are these companies going to differentiate, and what execution risks do they have between now and ten years from now when they're revenue positive? I don't care about that because all I care about is that any of them and all of their success means new demand for fixed supply and hard to navigate assets. And so those prices need to go up. That's just that's just basic economics. So I try to keep it simple. And so on the supply side, what you and I have, have discussed and what we found interesting is just the re- most recent example of countries hoarding supply. Okay, so back in January, you had European Metals, a company, SOAR, because their Czech lithium project got labeled strategic, right? So you'll hear this word, and and in the last 30 days, the U.S. government deemed copper critical. And that's not just a throwaway term, right? When a global government says this is a strategic metal, this is a critical mineral, then what they're really saying is our future geopolitically depends on this. And so we need to incentivize onshore adoption of it. We need to be really critical of how it's extracted and, and, you know, and support that industry so that we're not beholden to foreign superpowers for it. So January, you have that happen in, in Czech. You have the Philippines announced that they're tacking, ha- taxing nickel exports, right? Because Indonesia had already done it. And so what they started saying, Zimbabwe did the same thing about lithium, by the way. What they started to say is, wait a minute, we didn't really realize what we did when we signed all these Chinese export agreements. And yes, I will allow you to dig it out of the ground and do that as a business. And yes, I will allow you to pay me for that raw mineral. But I don't want you putting that on a, a on a, a truck and taking that cross border out of my country to another country where you're going to develop processing capabilities and processing capabilities drive jobs, they drive manufacturing, they drive plant building, they, right? So the processing process 
is robust and expensive. And so if I'm Zimbabwe, I'm looking at the total cost of lithium at $100 just to make it up. And I'm only getting 20 bucks for the raw. And the guy that's processing is getting 50. There's margin there that I want to participate in. So either I'm going to tax it, which rises the cost of exporting it, or I'm going to just ban its export completely in that form, which is, not, I don't know, legality. Consider, yeah, considered not legal by World Trade Organization standards. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but at the same time, like, you're going to bust us? <laughs> like, yeah, like, what are you, you know, going to do? This little, this little player, uh, you know, there's bigger things going on, you know. So, yeah. Well, well they use that too because you know who they're exporting it to is China. And so it's hard for governments to say, don't do that when they realize that China has really routed them, yeah. you know, and, and and just secured all this, this supply chain. We have some crazy data on our site, but, you know, about the 58% of the aggregate processing power of the green energy metals is in China. And so that is our bottleneck, whether we like it or not. And we are, you know, doing everything we can to build our own supplies of that, as you know, and as you cover well. Well, it's funny before the the podcast. You you were interviewing me a bit, which I don't typically get. Like it's it's rare that someone starts you know asking me a bunch of questions about clean technica and stuff and and our coverage, how we do what we do. And I think one 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 thing I highlighted is that we love having a global team. We love having like a lot of contributors who may maybe don't contribute full time, but are all over the world. So we have people in the Philippines. We have a writer in the Philippines. We have in in uh, in different places in Asia, Africa, South America. And we just love it because, you know, as much as we try to cover everything and see everything, you're going to miss stuff. And the market, as you were saying, is so much is happening. Like I, I've joked with solar people. I was covering solar 13 years ago and we were talking about the explosive, enormous growth in the solar industry. And every year since then, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the forecasts come to fruition, but like, the enormous solar growth we saw 13 years ago is like nothing like it's a nothing nothing at all compared to what we see now so as these trends have gone on we've expected it we've forecasted it we've covered it and everybody just expects it because that's what we've been expecting for more than a decade but then it's enormous and it's like and on our side you can't cover it anymore you know i used to track like 500 to a thousand stories a day to pick our to curate our content that was the easy days. Now, now it's like you need to do that in each market. So, so we don't do it quite the same way, but we have people around the world sort of watching, hey, what's happening here? This is big news that maybe you haven't seen yet or you, you won't ever see if we don't bring it up. And so it's a lot of fun for us just to see the global transition. But it's it's again, it's so big that it's hard to it's hard to place it. It's hard to even place it in the in the in the overall global trends of industrialization and uh, globalization and different things because it's enormous. So yeah, it's funny because you reached out. Then we'll get to the news story maybe that that you highlighted first or to one of them. We'll get to both of them, but maybe we'll start with one of them, and then yeah, and then get back more into that geopolitical topic of how do countries navigate this enormous, fast changing world. And I think there, there's a lot to say about c- country governments sort of starting to realize pretty quickly. I think right now they need to be on top of this. Like they, this is critical for their future. So, but yeah, let's let's go to that news that you caught that I had not seen before you emailed me uh, yesterday. Hello listeners. My name is Scott Cooney and I am Zach's business partner. I'm the founder of Clean Technica and I am so, so grateful 
to all of you avid cleantech fans out there. We are thrilled to have been accelerating the cleantech revolution for more than a decade now, and really that all starts with you. The decisions you make and your companies make are driving this revolution. I'm most happy to be able to say that if we at Clean Technica had a nickel for every time we heard someone say that they purchased their first solar, their first EV, their first e-bike, or some other clean technology because of something they read on our website, Clean Technica would have enough money to be a cable TV channel by now. But the thing is, we don't get those nickels, and as a result, our ability to move markets only goes so far. So I have a favor to ask. If you love what we do, and you feel that we're helping move the world to a better future, could you chip in a monthly contribution of five bucks, 10 bucks, or whatever you can? If even 1% of our audience chipped in $5 a month, we could really blow this thing up and move markets. So if you feel motivated and can spare the cost of one cup of coffee a month, please go to cleantechnica.com support and sign up through either PayPal or Patreon. Again, that's cleantechnica.com support. Thanks so much. Well, yeah, you know, what happened was at the end of July, the Ghanaian government came out, you know, because Ghana has great reserves and and specifically lithium. And, you know, they came out and basically made it, made the statement that, you know, that, that this is, it's basically, it's a critical mineral and they're not going to allow this stuff to just flow out the side door like it has. And so it was tied to uh, an announcement, but the, the, they, they established a green mineral policy that said not a single volume of lithium, you know, will leave this country in essence without it being processed. And it's just the latest story of a government kind of wising up to the fact that maybe the extraction deals they signed with, you know, the Chinese companies aren't in their economy's best interest. And if they're going to not only be able to self-consume batteries, onshore, right? What's worse than having lithium in your backyard, exporting it to China, and then having to buy it back from them at full retail to be able to use it yourself. But the fact that, you know, as you say about the solar industry and and all green energy future is just so massive. And it's so, it's so expected and assumed and known to be on its way, if not here, that those governments are also like, you know, we, we need this for ourselves. And so let's take care of our own stuff onshore before we start selling it, you know, to these players offshore to participate in, in a greater percentage of the supply chain and therefore the the kind of value creation that, that's happening here. Yeah. And you uh, said, so you said that they're set to introduce new policy proposals. Like what are, what are we looking at as far as timeline and the specifics of the proposals or is it, or is it, yeah, so I'm not sure if if there's like uh, expect this next week. Uh, yeah, well, or, um, or I, it's more I, of a general. As I mentioned about been, it, I, I've been lucky to do business in Africa and have a lot of love for the continent and have have done transactions in in eight African countries. Actually, my right hand guy was was uh, uh, Kojo Dufu from from Ghana, born in Ghana. I know I know the Ghana story well. I know Nigeria better, and those kind of. They call it ECOWAS, which is the kind of trade block of Western African states. They are making announcements and they're saying all the right things. But sadly, they don't have a great track record of implementing the, you know, their their messaging. And there, there is a lot of corruption and there are a lot of people that have been paid off over the last decades for these contracts that are in place with these exports, you know, to, to China. Ghana and West Africa is strategic and important to us 
because of its geographical capacity. You know, Ghana is a massive shipping operation and port there in Accra. And so its ability to get things west from Western Africa is way easier than South or Eastern Africa, right? And so a lot of South or Eastern Africa is very easy to go just dead north up to India and China. But those Western African states are important to, you know, the European Union and to the, the North America and, and even Latin American communities. So Ghana is an important and strategic place for us to pay attention to. Truly, what happens in Zimbabwe is less relevant to us because the Zimbabwean lithium is going to China. You know, it just makes more sense for that to go east and north. But all of those Western reserves, if the U.S. markets can't get them, then that's going to be a problem. You know, what was also announced in late July was a project in Ghana that got funded by a U.S. company, Piedmont Lithium. I think they own 25% stake in it. And they announced that that physical lithium is coming to Tennessee, Right. So it's it's important for these strategic Western reserves to have good relations with, you know, North America. And, and that's that's why we did a, a webinar in July that I am proud of called the three geos of green metal investing, you know, because you and I've talked a lot about the demand side and that's ubiquitous. But the supply chain, the supply side has challenges and those challenges are either geographic, geological or geopolitical. And so what we're talking Maybe about just Ghana, repeat those one more time since yeah, just for rep- Yeah, yeah, they're so they're geographic, they're geological or they're geopolitical. So geographical means what I just talked about, right? Eastern Africa going to China or China getting to the US. You know, we're trying to do green things and all of a sudden we're buying metals, let alone batteries from China where there is no EPA there are no standards for labor. We're getting physical metals from Africa where there is no labor union, let alone minimum working age. You know, you can go down that rabbit hole uh, as deep as you choose to. And so the geographical challenges of getting metals to consume are, are massive. And so that's a challenge that will affect supply chain. The geological is more understood it takes eight to 12 years to extract and process one of these metals. If you find, you know, this Ghanaian reserve that they are e- extracting that we're referencing, it's not going to be in, we're not going to have those it, those metals in batteries in cars for eight to 12 years. And so that's not a fix, right? It's not like, hey, I found oil in my backyard. We're burning tonight. You know, it's, we found lithium, we have to extract it. We have to, you know, probably, you know the, the whole extraction process there and the, the dehydration process, if you will, it's, it's, it's a massive undertaking. It's very expensive. And that's why, you know, investing in these mining companies are usually pre-revenue for a decade before they might make money. Well, uh, it's funny when, when you talk about those first two, uh, Piedmont lithium, this Piedmont lithium Ghana story is a funny one because Piedmont lithium is based in North Carolina is fairly small uh, company, but it got got a deal with Tesla three years ago in 2020. And, you know, it's sort of, it's complicated. This industry is so complicated. That's why we keep talking about it and learning about it because it's a, it's a complicated space, but its profile has, has risen, but it's still, it's a hard, it's a hard job to 
to grow in this industry. And there's already some behemoths um, that dominate mineral mining across the board. And so it's an interesting thing. Piedmont, you know, lithium, these people know no lithium, no lithium mining. They must have really thought this is a real big opportunity <laughs> in Ghana. We need to jump on it. You know, we, we know the the challenges of this. We know and we know, you know, how hard it is to get to mass mining. So it's an interesting deal. And then I I guess we can ease into that third one, geopolitical, because they must thought must have thought a lot about the geopolitical matters and and just, you know, how they're gonna navigate this, manage this but still clearly interested for, for, for strong reasons. So yeah, let's keep going with the three geos and, and maybe circle back to, to that deal that. Yeah. And you know, part of that deal that you reference is yes. Hey, I'll invest in your, your mind. Here's the money. But as part of that investment, I get 50% of everything that comes out of the ground, right? Like I I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this economic supply chain because they do have contracts to deliver to Tesla, but they can't get enough metal to make batteries for for those people. And, and so they mean, that was work. three years ago. I'm sure they they're probably knocking on great. the doors or or being called up by all of these battery companies. You know that. Yeah. I, and I, and great. yeah, they're, to be clear, I just want to make it. You know, I like those guys, and, and we're you know closely tied to them and, and through some mutual uh, friends, but. They're pre-revenue for like a long time. And so when you look at buying into something and investing in something, they are one of the folks that I believe will make it and they run a good business and they have good contracts globally and that's all well and good. But I have to bet on their execution capacity for the next 10 years for me to take confidence that they're going to A, be in business, B, be a player, you know, C, be able to pull off any of this stuff that we're talking about that is all on the come. What we try to do is just we just buy futures contracts on the metals because we believe, and I know you do too, the price of these things is going up. The demand for these things is going up and the supply for these things is fixed and volatile. So that's just basic economics that there's a mismatch there. And so what we're, our fund provides exposure to is the price appreciation of the metals, regardless of who mines them, regardless of who extracts them, regardless of what country they come from or continent and what car they go under the hood of. We don't actually care about any of that. I don't care if GM sells more cars than Ford. Collectively, the number that are sold globally to BYD in China or whatever it might be, those are the numbers that I care about because those are driving demand for the metals that we give exposure to. Yeah, I was going to come back to that because I really like that highlighting supply and demand. And earlier, just talking about content too, it's it's so easy to just follow the next bling bling uh, hot high class cool ev that comes out and a lot of people are drawn to do that we're drawn to do that obviously as well and there and the sales reports which we do a lot and that's all the you know it's kind of the growth the demand side the consumer side that you're seeing but you know all the time constantly i'm thinking oh underneath it all is what's the supply you know the supply is what matters this is you know the demand is going to grow where's the supply coming from how how is that going to how is that going to transition in the next decade? And it's all about supply. <laughs> That's why we keep talking about it. But with this, and this kind of story is just a perfect highlight of that because, I mean, Piedmont Lithium is a small company. Tesla got uh, involved with them three years ago because Tesla just needs lithium from wherever they right. can get it. Yeah, they're not discriminating. Yeah. The the whole situation of, you know, Piedmont Lithium going across to Ghana to, to try to get supply because 
the market is still so nascent and the 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 networks the supply chains are still so like they, they still need to be formed so much they need to be you need the lines of supply chains formed you need them to be strengthened yeah right now it's like a tiny it's like the first threads of a of a of a blanket or something you know it's 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 still right. so young so you see this kind of like every little thing like this is interesting to us because hey in 10 years is this going to be a major a major link is this going to be a major uh source is this going to be a, a major country for for this for this mineral and yeah i mean predicting whether piedmont lithium or anyone else survives that you know what's you know and make navigates perfectly to execute and to be alive in 10 years and to be doing well uh or, or even the bigger guys Al, albemarle and uh you know rio tinto any any big mining company as well like how are they going to navigate it and then you brought in copper. I mean, like copper is a big established industry. Like this is a big, long established industry. Everybody knows copper. Everybody knows copper has been in stuff forever, but it is in such demand for EV charging stations, for electric motors, for other parts of the clean technology transition that it's raising, it's getting raised to another level. It's like no longer a lower, it's just, it's getting raised to a whole nother level. So you, you I think it was really interesting that you highlight it getting labeled a uh, critical it's like wasn't wait it's copper <laughs> it wasn't always critical but it just always shows critical. how much supply is an issue if they got to go out there label it critical and set policies around it to make sure yeah. that we're on the right end of of this this well, our fund is 70 percent long copper right now and there's a reason for it you know copper connectivity is <clears throat> so you've covered solar for a long time hydro like all these green energy sources right places where we extract energy from solar, wind, whatever it might be, all of those sources are paired via copper with electric infrastructure, battery infrastructure to harness those, you know, uh, energies and deploy them to other places. All that connectivity from every wind turbine, every solar panel to every grid and every uh, battery energy storage system is copper. And then the connectivity from those storage systems to to the plugs in your wall, to the vehicles in your garage is copper. And every electric vehicle inside the vehicle has one mile of copper wire inside the vehicle because there's no pipes for oil. There's no gas. There's no, all the, the windshield, wire, everything is powered off of copper. And so the demand for copper is becoming more and more appreciated, but these are all new demands without new supplies. These are all new demands that 10 years ago weren't contemplated. And then the Inflation Reduction Act comes out and says, we will give you a trillion dollars to lay down copper wire across the United States to be able to charge all these cars and develop all these resources. And the market doesn't, and the price of copper goes down. Yeah, no, the copper is a fascinating... I I find it fascinating. So my wife is Polish and I lived in Poland for 11 years and Poland has a huge copper industry and my, my wife's uh, father is retired but he was uh, a, a big uh, mechanical engineer in that industry uh, and they there's a copper organization there where we lived that reached out or got connected to us somehow and they, and they wanted to meet like you know we need to talk you know and we talked for like hours about you know the the huge role of copper in the clean clean tech transition and you know like we need to do something with this and we we never really quite they didn't quite have 
a vision for what to do, <laughs> what to do, like how to capitalize on that. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, they're doing they're a big organization. They have a huge industry they're representing and they're doing stuff. But at the same time, the potential was so big and everyone's talking lithium and everybody's right. talking, you know, other stuff, cobalt. And nobody's talking copper because, again, we know copper. Oh, copper is a big industry. And I, I could see these guys just kind of be like, we need to do something. We need to, you know, we need to, you know, do more to get highlight this. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And we did some stuff, but it's just like, it's a hard, you know, who did hard, have that it's not decision? new and sexy. It's like, you know, it's, it's copper, but it's, it's actually such a big transition, even for this established industry. And I'm just constantly thinking of that, that as you're talking that, that meeting we had in their offices and, you know, trying to like figure out how do you, how do you raise attention on copper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, I don't know. Well, we do it every day because, you know, we believe that it's, you know, the core to all this stuff. And it's lithium is key. That looks like that. copper wires on that picture behind. Is that copper in your art? Is or, is or am I just imagining it? You're imagining it. You're seeing it all around you. You're seeing it all around you. Now, that's um, that is uh, a cool piece that I had uh, that I purchased in New York. That's actually uh, it's called Burnout by Aaron Young. And it was a, a panel laid down in the uh ground that a guy did burnouts on a motorcycle on top of black tar and orange paint so it's actually uh uh it has a long story and a, and a cool thing to youtube you can see them making it in the armory in new york uh that process they did 100 of them but yeah we talk about a copper copper a lot and it, it ties back to the geopolitical thing that that you're also asking about because you know chile is 28 percent of the copper that we consume currently and and that latin american kind of triangle is is key for copper in, in our future. Chile, uh, similarly to what uh, Ghana announced, but Chile announced that they were nationalizing lithium a few months ago. And SQM and Albemarle, the biggest players in the space, multinational, multi-billion, massive, well-diversified, great businesses, traded off 20 and 10% overnight. Their entire businesses lost a fifth of their value in one day because the Chilean government said, we are nationalizing lithium and not allowing it to be ex- exported unless it's processed here. Yeah, so we, that, co- we covered that. That was that was wild. A, yeah, it was a wild. <laughs> so what's well, this, Let me, let me push the, you further on that. How crazy yeah, how has is, that evolved? What, so what happens? So that's just Chile. And that, and that t- dropped the, uh, the value of the mining companies 20%. Why does it drop the value? Because the cost of those mining companies acquiring that metal went up overnight because the go- the government said, you know what, before you go taking that, we want a little tax. We want a little, and it's a shakedown, but these are non-democratic nations. They don't care. They need the money. They want the money. They're going to take the money. And so when you depend on Chile, Panama, when like how did this work out in the oil and gas industry when we depended on Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, these are not places that, you know, you hear friends well, going for summer vacation. I think, too, well, we've always known Russia. Yeah, we've always known these oil rich countries have a lot of money, but it's even becoming more of a popular. It's getting more attention now, because especially like in the sports world, like like Saudi Arabia trying to launch, you know, get into golf. Uh, I mean, the, the deals, if you follow football or soccer are just yeah. mind blowing, like hundreds of millions of dollars a year for some of these players offered or, or given uh ronaldo neymar uh benzema so it's like 
it brings this topic to a lot of people like, wow, these guys just have a ridiculous amount of money, which we knew, but it just make, it popularizes it a little bit, right more. It makes face. it more of a kind of daily conversation. And I, I can imagine people in government like, hey, oil is old news, <laughs> you know, copper is the future, lithium is the future. How do we become, how do we get rich? Like, the, how do we yeah. make sure our countries are the ones that can offer $400 million a year salaries? And it's not as concentrated, it's not going to be as, well, I mean, I don't know. You, you, well, you that's tell me how much it's going to be concentrated or not concentrated. I don't know. It's going to be, sadly. And and we just pub- published a piece called uh, the new OPEC, which we, we came up with the name OMEC. Because OPEC is the uh, organization of those folks, and they're all enemies of ours. Let's be clear. I mean, we are only playing nice with our frenemies, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. These are not play. We have military presence in all of these countries, but they are our sole supplier of our energy currently. And what China did brilliantly is they went out and made themselves the new OPEC. They went out and made themselves 58% of the global processing capacity of these metals. And so guess who we have to play nice with, even though they're committing atrocities against their people, they're, you know, backing Russia, Russian aggression against, you know, it, 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 they're, they're not good global players. But you see our politicians sign, shaking their hands and smiling for the cameras because we are critically dependent on them for our energy future. And they brilliantly outmaneuvered us and and we're we're playing catch up you know which is why the geopolitical angle to the three geos is even more complicated because what it does is it forces us to play nice with players that we shouldn't be playing nice with and can't bully like we should because we're dependent on them for all this uh you know climate neutrality so can we what's your what's your expectation for ghana and chile what what do you expect to happen in these countries in the next five to ten years with these you know, I hope for their good that they are able to develop their own processing capacities, that they are able to participate longer in the supply chain and value creation of green metals. And do Whatever. you think Ghana's policies like that are presumably coming soon? Do you think they, well, first of all, do you think they will be allowed? Secondly, like, are they going to get away with like saying you were you know, you have to do this here in our country. Do you think they're going to become a major mineral base in the next five years for, for, for these industries, like in a, in a way that transforms the country a bit or, or transforms the global well, market a bit, or yeah. is it still, or it's still not, not, a, it's just one piece of a very big pie. Ghana, so I'll answer it in two ways. My true hope is that they do become a player for their own good and that their people benefit more from the reserves that they have on shore than they have and that they currently do. I truly want that for that country and that continent. The reality of it is on the grand scale, they aren't a major player. They don't have enough reserves to be a major player, but in their own continent, they can be a major player. And if they do create more processing capability and they trade with the ECOWAS region freely, they can become a player for Western Africa in supplying lithium to Western Africa in their own self-consumption. My broader concern is when you have someone like Ghana, who is in reality a smaller global player, decide we're not letting that stuff leave our border 
all that does is suck supply out of the market, even if it's a small amount of supply. And so any investment, you look at supply and demand dynamics and you look out on a curve and you say, okay, demand's rising, right? Over time, there's going to be more demand for lithium because there's more cars needing it. There's more solar panels and wind turbines and all of this demand for lithium, copper, which we were just talking about, nickel, all the core commodities, demand's rising massively exponentially. That can't be debated. If my prediction for supply, not mine, but the global economy's prediction for supply coming online from all these sources is affected by global government saying, you know what, we're not exporting this. Therefore, let's say, and I'm making this up, that Ghana is 5% of the global lithium supply. And they make this announcement. That just took 5% of the supply out of the global market. Right. And so if you have rising demand and supply that's constantly being depleted by government saying that's not leaving our shores. And if it does leave our shores, it's going to be taxed massively. Therefore, the price is going to be higher than you have to pay to get it from another place. That creates price activity for these underlying core commodities that are scary. It's not good for our green energy transition. And the only variable that these car companies and global governments can't gamify with tax incentives and you know labor benefits is the cost of acquiring the physical metal itself right and so tesla's ability to sell you a car for $30,000 is directly tied to ghana's willingness to export that at an affordable price for 25,000 as the you know the big hope uh yeah and you know with economics i i, I keep thinking about these different economic hubs or clusters too for different industries there's uh, one sort of easy it's not the best comparison but you know you think of tech uh so tech you have silicon valley is like most famous but then you've got research triangle park in in uh, north carolina another kind of tech hub you have of course different tech uh austin texas is a kind of tech hub so you have these different ecosystems that that evolve around an industry and there's just all different uh, layers to that. And you need that to to have competition geographically for for that. You know, otherwise, just sticking to the tech comparison, you know, everybody goes to Silicon Valley. If that's the only place you can be a tech, a big tech guy and, and really uh, evolve. But, and, and, you know, of course, globally, you have more in these in these kind in this kind of mining industry. I just wonder too long term, like you need that developed in a lot of places. So you need like, like, what if, you know, Ghana starts like this, and they implement it and World Trade Organization says, all right, we'll let it go because you know, we need diversification here. And uh, as long as you build up the, the processing capacity, it's a it's diversifying this industry. I mean, it seems like in the long term, that's a good thing. Like you want, you want those, those places to develop to become economic clusters or economic centers for these industries outside of the few that we have right now. I mean, I don't know how much we have right now, but I, I think it's still, it's far too limited. And so, you know, you sort of need that kind of, it's a two steps forward, one step back or, or one step back, two steps forward kind of situation. But so, I mean, I don't know, we'll see what happens with Ghana. Ghana's one case. Africa is an interesting case because there, there are a lot of countries in Africa that are trying to determine how they how they benefit from this EV transition. Ghana also has like a, a made in Ghana e-mobility program, and you know 
sort of like India's got this strong made in India uh, policies to try to encourage manufacturing in India. Uh, so I don't know, are there, what what places in the world are you looking at and thinking this could become a major economic cluster for copper, for lithium? Well, all of those places, look, it, it's geologically proven where the reserves exist, right? There's not a lot of undiscovered reserves. I hope that there are, but we've done a pretty good job of mapping where the world's lithium is. And we've, we've found a lot of that getting it out of the ground and into cars, you know, as we talk about is a long arc, but we know where stuff exists. What will be interesting is when those countries like you referenced Ghana decide to self-consume instead of export or decide to keep them on the continent and, and keep it in Africa so that they're not beholden to foreign superpowers for their own energy, that just sucks supply out of the market. And the sad and scary part is China is the one that we really have to worry about because all of those countries currently have agreements with China to extract and export. And if China decides that they're going to do what Ghana just did, if China decides they're going to do what Indonesia and the Philippines and all of these smaller places have already done, they say, you know what, we kind of we need this for ourselves. We don't want to be dependent on Russia for oil. We're going to just make our own batteries onshore for our own people. And our population is X and our demand is Y and our capacity is Z. So, no, we're not exporting that. And oh, by the way, cattle, you know, CATL, which is a major global battery company, they announced in February that they're selling batteries to Chinese automakers cheaper than they will ever sell them to multinationals. That's economic warfare. Now, yeah. And it's, it's out in the open. It's not a secret. No, but they're, it's, they're very public about it. It's not behind yeah. closed doors. So what happens when China says, you know what? We're not doing that. 58% of supply comes out of the global market and demand doesn't change. That's parabolic price activity that we aren't predicting. But this market has the, the capacity at any given moment to do. And that's a very scary thing for our ability to go green in any semblance of, of you know, decades because we're dependent on these bottlenecks to be able to do so. And the cost of the metals necessary to make that happen are going to be higher and higher gradually as this adoption curve rises. And I don't think that the markets really contemplated that uh, sufficiently. At least the pricing activity hasn't shown it. And there's layers and layers with it because it's funny, we China accounts for yeah 60 plus percent of mineral processing. They also have accounted for the last several years with more than 50% of EV sales. And this is something is like, okay, so it sort of matches. But as the EV sale, I mean, you can't grow forever. <laughs> and the, the market's getting really big already. But as the supply has increased, and whenever there's a demand dip in China or policy change or something, those Chinese automakers have to look globally. And more and more, they're looking, hey, we need to be selling our EVs in South America and Africa and in North America and Europe everywhere. So more and more the major companies are are establishing, you know, trade routes and and uh, partnerships and getting their EVs abroad. And that's when it becomes like a real big I mean if they're if if they're controlling from from mine to car the supply, yep. uh, then it gets real complicated. So as we've talked about before the the US um the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which just had its one-year anniversary, 
which is sort of mind-blowing by itself. I'm like, wow, it's been a year? <laughs> this is new. But you know, as we've talked about, this is a, a big a big part of this is trying to counterbalance that, trying to get more for the US again. What's your yeah, what what do you have to say today on you know sort of the, the one year anniversary of this Inflation Reduction Act and and similar things like the bipartisan infrastructure law, you know, there's there's related policies as well. What do you have to say about how those are evolve how those are developing and and where and yeah, what what you think is needed to supplement those? I think to me, the Inflation Reduction Act is what Washington and what government's supposed to do. I think it's an amazing piece of legislation. I think it's public-private partnerships. It's utilizing tax code to benefit uh, and to push adoption of things that are positive for the environment, right? Government's able to uniquely make adjustments to corporate policy that affects environmental policy and do things that bridge sectors. And this was an example, I think, that will go down in history as as one of the best pieces of legislation of the last 100 years, if it does what it's purporting to do, as it really does cross partisan lines. And it's it's really been brilliant and it's been implemented swiftly. I have to, I don't often compliment this administration, but I have to tip my hat to that piece of legislation. It also kicked off uh, other governments doing the same. And so yeah, I was going to say it's actually <laughs> we're going to see the we already seeing, but you know, we're going to see big effects of this in Europe as well, where Europe was like, hey, U.S. is behind us. We're doing all right. We're not doing what China's doing, but we're doing all right. And then the U.S. is like leapfrogged Europe, and Europe's like, ah, panic! What? We're losing. We're losing battery factory. We're losing all this stuff that we were. They've committed over a trillion dollars. I think one point three trillion dollars. The EU committed to to doing the same thing, and 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 twenty five percent of their total budget they've committed to carbon neutrality. So that is the copycat thing of great legislation that's driving onshore innovation and investment that. The, the the like we talked about every week there's crazy billions of dollars committed to this thing that's because they've they've in 12 short months driven huge investment onshore and made and and had global companies make commitments onshore to ensure that they're a player and that's going to be great for Americans for the coming decades and I'm really thankful that they did that it's also driven the 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 demand curve it's tugged it up because now all of a sudden it's cheaper and cheaper. Look at the price to acquire an EV today versus 12 months ago. It's lowered it massively. And so the adoption curve is going to jump. And then look at the charging infrastructure that's been committed to or already been laid down. It's it's grown that massively in just 12 months. And so now that that's happened, we haven't even seen that effect trickle through to U.S. equities that are making those investments, let alone the price of the commodities that are going to be in massive demand for that transition. And so that trickle through is going to have benefits to investors, you know, who are able to participate in that just on, like we said, you know, all this copper demand is new demand and with existing supply, there's not new supply, there's just new demand. Same thing. All these companies have lower costs to create with new demand. So it's good for all those companies that are participating in that and massively good for the commodities that they all need to do it. Yeah. And I mean, 
the fact that I mean, I don't think the the administration gets enough credit for what it did with the Inflation Reduction Act because it's so massive, it's hard to even comprehend. And also, you know, people are just not keen to give credit often, <laughs> especially yeah. in politics. And I think it's really tremendous and was a bit unbelievable. So I don't want to ask for too much and say, hey, what else can we get? <laughs> I mean, but but obviously, you know, you want more. So I don't know if you have anything on the mind for like what could supplement this. I mean, the problem is realistically, we couldn't really pass anything right now because we have a deadlocked Congress again and uh, we'll have to wait and see. So I think we'll just we'll table that. But but something to think about for the future is like what is needed to supplement this. And it could be on the state level, too, on state in state policies where you can get a lot more done uh, or get stuff done more 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 frequently well, one would hope but you know our states have the same issue of this not in my backyard thing where they say oh yeah this is policy but no you can't mine in minnesota you know yeah. we covered a, a cool news yeah, story is a big, big five problem. calendar days the governor of minnesota said they were going carbon neutral by 2030 and then five days later signed a bill uh restricting mining of their mineral reserves for green and energy metals and you're like you did nobody check the calendar here that this is going to be in the same five days that you say we're going green, but we're yeah. not doing it here. Yeah, so no, it's, it's and this is the problem with this, this segment. And so that transitions to my last question, which is, I think there's just a common, and I was in this boat before, and I see a lot of people in this boat who know a lot about the market. There's this assumption. Uh, if the de- demand is there, so the supply will be there. The market will respond as oh, as long as the tech is improving and the awareness is ri- rising, demand will be there and demand will, and people will find a way to to have the supply. And I mean, yeah, historically that happens, but it doesn't happen like going down a slide or, you know, it's not it's not seamless. And uh, in this specific case, you just highlighted specifically why it's such a challenge, because everybody loves the big brand, the big policies, the big goals. Everybody loves the tech. But mining is not popular in a lot, and people don't want it near that, even if it's not even in their backyard, but just in their region. They're like, oh, no, I'm anti-mining in my region or in my country can be even. And so how so how much do you see that as a as a real a real concern right now still that that there's this kind of overinflated expectation for demand without enough concern or care or support for supply of course you know limited supply and high demand is going to have high prices on that on the supply so you're going to make money on it so maybe it's not much of a concern you're investing in it for a reason but still people like we uh, say they underappreciate the lag you know it's 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 not that you can just you know stick a, a a spigot in the ground pump oil and burn it and you have combustion it's an eight to 12 year lag and so these people have to be willing like you said perfectly, to take one step back before the two steps forward, to rid ourselves of of chemical dependence on China, Russia, Saudi Arabia. If we don't want that, well, then we do have to extract nat gas. We do have to mine. We have to develop mining infrastructure in what are currently national parks, because that's where that stuff is. So you can't have it both ways. And it's it's, uh, even more complicated when those that are most interested in going green are also usually most interested in land conservation and right and protecting the environment on that side and so you just got to pick a battle you know would you rather have minnesota's national park not have a 20 acre mine off in the far right corner that you'll never see 
or do you rather our own supplies of lithium in Minnesota? You can't you literally can't have it both ways? Yeah. Now the federal means- government did something, and I'd have to dig up the news item, but the federal government did something where they overruled a state who had restricted some mining activity. And it was an amazing piece of news that actually someone in the White House texted to me because they knew I'd freak when I saw it. <laughs> because what they did is they said, I understand that you at a state level are restricting this, but we're overruling you. That's a national park. And you need to allow the mining to occur in that park. We need those metals. And that's a pretty that doesn't yeah. happen very often. And whether it's Republican or Democrat, like you want those people in federal government doing that in in the case of the Biden administration, they're just they're so focused on manufacturing and and you know bringing blue collar jobs back to the U.S. that that you can see this this is just an element from the top down of their their focus. They want this you know they want that blue. I mean, Joe Biden's always been his blue collar guy. That's who he 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 loves that stuff. And so you can see how that's trickling down to these kind of things, which. I mean, that's not a small thing. I mean, this is like a big deal for the federal government to override a state decision on that. And one would hope that no matter what happens uh, in the next couple of years, that that kind of approach will continue. Of course, there's some people that always that will be in the administration, uh, be in federal government year after year, no matter who's in office. But uh, there's also the the policies on the, those kind of things matter a lot. And it's definitely like you need a we need that consistently for long term, and we need. We need states to recognize, oh, we can't do this because we're going to get it's going to get overridden or, or they might do it for political reasons and then know that it's going to get overridden. But you have to also give some that the Chinese government thinks in 100 year increments and our yeah. state governments and federal government thinks in two and four year election cycles. Yeah, you can't yeah. win. You think in that way. I found the article just because I know you love it. Tribes object, but a federal ru- ruling approves construction of the largest lithium mine. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled the U.S. government did not violate federal environment laws when it approved Nevada's Thacker Pass mine. And so they and we over- have to say, too, yeah, there's different types of mining. And I mean, lithium mining is really not this is not a big this is not like a threat, like a lot of mining, you know, more disruptive mining or, or you know, harmful pollution projects cause but i would just just want to say again too like you have to give some credit to the people at piedmont and places like that too who are like we need to think outside the box we need to look everywhere we can we need to go to ghana if that's where we're going to be able to get lithium so you know i just a big credit to anyone who's being creative and and navigating this in, in a very challenging uh exciting but challenging transition so yeah we talked about a lot there it flew by i I don't know if you have some closing those were sort of good closing comments anyway but i'm sure you could have some uh a few more closing comments on the whole no i I think you know it's all about supply and demand and demand is well covered supply is more complicated i i appreciate you calling out the ghana story and focusing on that and you know we try to boil it down like i said into the three geos and all three of them are complicated and so if you have an investment opportunity in my brain that's rising demand and volatile supply, let alone fixed supply, let alone depleting supply, this is the hindsight 2020, like you were saying how 10 years ago you were meeting with solar companies and just saying, this is happening, I guarantee it's happening, but you've never, now you look at it like the scale of the market is so big. Where are we going to be in 10 years looking back on the, the demand for lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt? And the supply side still not being figured out because it's going to be then 
when stuff like Ghana is coming online to satiate supply. And so this supply demand dynamic that's going to play out over these next 10 years, we're going to look back on like, of course, that was the biggest no brainer of all time. And so it's, it's, I'm appreciative of people like you that are actually covering it and, and calling attention to it like we tried to do. Yeah, we'll be talking about it. We'll be like, hey, we were talking about this a decade ago. <laughs> In our That's rocking it. chair. You remember yeah. when? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and, and solar, I mean, they just needed, I mean, very simple, like sand, like they have pretty easy supply uh, to ramp up. And so it's a different situation. And people make comparisons like, oh, it'll be like solar. No, it's not quite like solar. Like solar was easier to ramp up. Uh, and it's still, they had their big booms and busts and like roller coaster of supply and demand and and pricing and all that stuff. But yeah, the and yeah, so so my my final thing too is yeah, don't forget about copper. <laughs> I know that I know that you're behind that. Apparently, seventy percent you said, but really, don't forget about copper. I think it, it gets a little bit forgotten just because people think, oh, it's a big industry, it'll it'll ramp up. It's like no, we need a lot more than what we've ex- what we've been used to for a long time, and it's yeah. So don't forget about copper, but you know across the board, keep keep us posted on any big geopolitical stuff or geological stuff. Uh, I'll subscribe to your newsletter for sure, and and try to keep an eye on what you're what you're seeing and saying as well. So thank you again. Uh, that's William McDonough from. EMG Advisors. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening. And please remember to like and subscribe to us wherever you're listening, whether that's Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or YouTube or elsewhere. Thank you again. Have a good day. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 